From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 94. We're coming back after a little bit of a podcast break where we had a chance to regroup and gather up some content. Um, so some good weeks ahead here with a little bit of a sports medicine focus. Um, and I think there's some, some good insights in place for players, coaches, parents, but also you know folks in the clinical world, sports medicine, strength and conditioning. Um, some really good stuff here, uh, starting with a, a guy that we had the fortune to work with this past offseason at CSP Florida. Um, guys had a, a pretty extensive injury history, but worked hard to learn from it um, and get himself back on a good path. And he's, he's doing great in the big leagues now. So we're really excited for a, a good guest that I think will we'll share a lot of wisdom for folks who are going through that rehab struggle or looking to help people who are. This episode is brought to you by Owens Recovery Science. Owens Recovery Science is a single source for clinicians looking to learn and implement personalized blood flow restriction exercise and rehabilitation into their practice. Johnny Owens and his team work tirelessly to provide you with the most up-to-date, accurate information regarding BFR and its clinical and performance applications. Owens Recovery Science is not only the leader in BFR education and content, but they're also leading the charge in research with involvement in BFR clinical trials worldwide and a multi-million dollar research grant portfolio. Don't know what BFR is? Looking to learn more about it? Go learn from the ORS crew via their one-day in-person certification courses and read their blog at owensrecoveryscience.com. And be sure to check out the Owens Recovery Science Podcast, where Johnny interviews BFR researchers from around the world, in addition to the deep dives he takes and the educational team takes on specific topics, all with the practicing clinician in mind. In addition to teaching you how to integrate BFR into your practice, Owens Recovery Science also sells the equipment to help you implement BFR in the safest, most efficient manner possible. ORS is the exclusive U.S. distributor of the Delphi Personalized Tourniquet System for BFR, which is recognized even by the competitors as the gold standard in blood flow restricted training and is the only BFR system on professional sports workers comp in every U.S. league. The Delphi PTS for BFR is the only research validated device on the market and it's recognized worldwide for its industry leading ability to quickly and objectively determine the correct pressure to use and maintain that pressure throughout the intervention. I use the device myself heavily during my rehabilitation from a recent knee surgery, and we integrate it regularly in our baseball programs and our rehabilitation work here at Cressy Sports Performance. For a limited time, you can use the discount code CRESSYBFR to receive $100 off on one of the Owens Recovery Science certification courses. Just go to owensrecoveryscience.com, select courses in the menu bar to see their upcoming offers, and then enter the code at checkout. Again, that's Cressy BFR to get $100 off. Make sure to act now as this offer expires on June 12th. Today's guest is a right-handed pitcher who played high school baseball in Florida and was drafted in the 39th round by the Cincinnati Reds. He opted not to sign, instead attending the University of Alabama. After three years there, he was selected in the second round of the 2010 draft by the Milwaukee Brewers. He made his major league debut in September of 2013 for the Brewers and picked up his first win in May of 2014. He made 30 starts in 2015, 32 starts in 2016, and 29 starts in 2017, only to have his 2017 season cut short by a significant shoulder injury he incurred while diving back into first base. He underwent surgery and did not play in 2018, but worked his way back to the big leagues partway through the 2019 season. He signed that offseason with the Dodgers, only to miss the 2020 season for surgery to repair a stress fracture in his back. 
This led him to move to Florida to train and rehab with our team at Cressy Sports Performance Florida, where I learned his story, spent time with him, and realized how much he had to offer on an interview like this. He resigned with the Dodgers this offseason, and after a healthy and effective spring training, he earned a spot on their opening day roster. Please welcome to the show, Jimmy Nelson. Thanks for coming on the show, Jimmy. I appreciate having me. This is going to be a good time because um, I've, I've learned your history from being around you and seeing how hard you work and how much pride you take in your craft. So it's going to be cool to, to share this with a larger audience. Um, I appreciate it. And I know we can go, uh, we can pretty, pretty far down the rabbit hole in the rehab world and baseball development. Yeah. But I, I think it's good to maybe start with like, let's talk about Jimmy Nelson as a high school athlete. Um, were you a, were you a multi-sport athlete or were you a baseball only guy? Um, yeah, it was baseball football basketball for me and it was like one of those things that's kind of they you know one sport kind of falls off I think basketball fell off for me at the earliest and then I stopped playing football after my I think sophomore year <laughs> or either after my freshman or sophomore year I can't I stopped playing football I can't remember which one but and then um like basically from my junior year on I was focusing just on baseball um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, just growing up, I play, I mean, I played those three, but pretty much every year growing up. That's, that's huge. Do you think that helped you, you know, from a foundational standpoint for when later on, when it became baseball only, like, do, do you think it gave you a better ability to pick up new skills and things like that? Or what, when you look back on your, your multi-sport career, what do you think the biggest benefits were? Um, well, I think, you know, that's one thing that's highlighted a lot, but I think also just more so on like the mental side of it, mm -hmm. it kind of creates a, it kind of creates a mentality of like how to work, how to be a part of a team and, um, like just those intangibles that you can't really measure. I think it just reinforces those. I mean, the, the physical development stuff is obvious, you know, with different movement mm -hmm. patterns and the training and everything being different and just so that stuff is there. But, you know, in high school, sometimes the training isn't exactly sports specific. You're kind of <laughs> doing pretty similar workouts for, mm -hmm. you know, whatever sport might be a little bit different, but um, I mean, yeah, just a different, just a different movements, but overall, yeah, just those like intangibles, like I said, that you, you, you just kind of, mm -hmm don't get i guess from from pinholing yourself into one thing no doubt and you so you were drafted in the 39th round out of high school and, and wound up going to alabama describe to me jimmy nelson nelson like senior in high school like what kind of a pitcher were you what did you have to work on and what made you yeah. think alabama was the play for you well i was yeah i was 39th round and i mean they made a solid offer especially for that round and it just wasn't enough for me to want to skip college you know come out of high school there's probably going to be a few more years you know at least a couple more years of development in the minor leagues than there would be coming out of college and um you know I was like 6'6 six, six, like 215 or 210 I'd like 210 at my freshman physical at Alabama so there was like a lot of projectability and I was like 87 to 90 mm -hmm. with a good breaking ball so I wasn't throwing super hard or anything. I was just really projectable. So I went to college and then, which was a smart choice. You know, I really developed physically there and mentally. And after those three years, you know, even just the first year putting on some weight, getting in 
on a you know a strength conditioning program at mm-hmm. a division one level and you know velos went up to like 92 95 within like months mm-hmm. of getting there um and then i i mean i had other struggles there with command stuff and learning how to use my stuff because it all started changing mm-hmm. but just over the years just kind of learning that and and building off that and then kind of put it together a little bit my junior year and mm-hmm. and so that's how it played that's how it, it benefited me you mentioned obviously the, the strength conditioning side of things, which is something I think we see a lot. Guys get there, they put on 25, 30 pounds, they get a lot stronger. Yeah. I'm curious even beyond that, like what were the what were the things that that made the biggest difference that took you from a 39th rounder out of high school, you know, to being a second rounder three years later? Did you think it was a mentality of pitching the SEC? Was it proving that you could shove in competitive games that mattered? Was it fastball command? Like were there were there yeah. both like pitching metrics and then you know some of the intangibles too? Yeah, it was all of it. I mean, it's all of it. It's not just one thing. Um, I mean, they worked our asses off there. And I mean, I was already somebody, you know, in high school that worked pretty hard. And then it just kind of magnified and really brought out those things when I got to Alabama. And, you know, they, they put you through a lot in college, or at least they did. So <laughs> there was there was a lot of things that you can realize that you can do mentally that you might not before. Um, and then obviously the, the team, the team field and the camaraderie that there is with a college team. I mean, it's, you're, you're training and you're doing all the, all the stuff with those guys in the fall and in the spring. Um, whereas in like pro ball, it's like, obviously everybody has wherever they train in the off season and then everybody is together for the season. It's a little bit, it can be a little bit different vibe, you know, whereas in college, a lot of times you're kind of going through those grindy workouts with the guys. So mm-hmm it kind of builds like some camaraderie that way and mm-hmm. some respect among your, your teammates that way. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, just growing mentally as a, just mentally as a pitcher, learning, learning my stuff, my stuff really jumped up. I went, you know, by the time I left Alabama, I was like six, I mean, I'm still six, six, but like two fifty. Mm-hmm. you know? So I put basically 40 pounds from the beginning and I was like mid nineties, mm-hmm. uh, good breaking ball. And, just learning how to pitch and compete and, and yeah, I mean, just, just really com- competing and just learning myself and growing. I'm, I'm, one thing is I'm curious about is you, you're obviously a guy who's well known for having a really good breaking ball, but you also, I mean, you're able to, you know, spin a four seam at a really high rate. You, you always seem to have like an, an ability to manipulate the baseball. Um, I remember talking to Adam Ottavino and he talked about like, you know, throwing breaking balls into a bucket in his basement. It was always something that he worked on. Soroka's talked about some of the same thing. Like, were you a guy that, did that come naturally to you? Were you a kid in your teenage years that was always, you always just had a baseball in your hand? Or what what do you attribute your ability to manipulate a baseball to? A part of it has always been there. You know, part of it has been an ability to spin the ball, even from a young age, like in middle school or like eighth or ninth grade. I can't remember. I started really spinning it. And, um, and yeah, I think eighth grade and it was just pretty natural from the beginning. Uh, and then obviously things have, there's, I would say more than anything, just a lot of work mm-hmm. and we'll talk about it too. Once we get to the injury stuff, um, with the, with the spinning of, of everything, but there's been a lot of things I've done, especially in the last three to four years that have increased the spin on all my pitches and helped them become, you know, more consistent with those mm-hmm. profiles. So it's, it's something that there was like a underlying ability always there. And then 
there's a lot of things I've done to just kind of build on that and try to fulfill that potential. Right on. So let's let's fast forward to to pro ball. Um, so you worked your way through the minors re- reasonably quickly and, and made it to the big leagues. Um, you know, in, in 2013. And I'm curious, you know, you, you were a good big leaguer. You were, you were a regular big leaguer. You made, you know, 62 starts between 15 and 16. And then in, in 17, you just took a huge step forward. And, you know, I, I'm curious, you know, what is it that, that, that led to that? Because it was like a, an exponential improvement between 16 yeah. and 17 that, that took you to the next level. What, what do you, when you look back, like there was a you know massive jump in strikeouts and a reduction in walks at the same time. Yeah. What, what changed? Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was just kind of a lot of things culminating in, in one point. And, you know, I 15 was an okay year and still frustrating to me. 14 was bad. 16 was really bad. But in the middle of 16, um, you know, I had, I had Derek Johnson in Milwaukee, and he was a huge help to me as a pitching coach, whether it was about pitching or even, like, the mental side of it. So he had a lot to help me with and back me with. And, you know, there was some mechanical changes that, you know, I wanted to make in the middle of the season. And he really backed me on that. And even though it didn't show necessarily in 16, it it seemed to kind of all kind of start syncing up going into 17. And I had a mindset of um, I just had a different mindset in 17, even in spring. You know, I was I was sick of. I was sick of the bad performance, obviously, and, and underperforming. And, um, and, I, and I've always, you know, been told and I know my stuff, my actual stuff is good. You know, like the, you know, I have, you know, with the two different breaking balls, a couple different fastballs, like I know the stuff is there. It was just always a, a command thing and, and sequencing. But, you know, finally started to really read swings better, learn how to sequence and my, mechanical things started syncing up the timing of it started getting better and then you just start you start building confidence off that and I, I really came into spring training with not like a almost like horse blinders on you know it was just like a like a f everybody like mindset you know and I was just like I was pitching angry but like under control you know because it was a lot of I knew that that spring and that year was kind of like one of my last chances to stick as a starter. And, um, so like I did that offseason. I mean, I, I, every offseason, I was just doing everything I could worked hard and tried to clean up anything mechanical or timing I could. And then the mindset shifted in spring and, um, I just started attacking guys. I started knowing that I was better than the hitter, you know, instead of being worried about giving up a hit or a walk or whatever it may be. And, um, and then really also like the other big piece was doing, doing my own scouting reports. You know, I'd watch all the video in between my starts and I would, I would scout um, the other team I was facing, you know, their hitters and everything I, I needed to know personally about their swing and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, how it fits with me and not just, you know, rely on some like scouting packet that you might necessarily get. Uh, I think sometimes seeing the video and taking notes and doing it all on your own without seeing some of the notes is actually more helpful, helps stick in your mind. And then so in the game, it's easier to apply because it's like second nature to you. Do you think, um, I, I know you and Cap, uh, Brian Kaplan at our facility kind of talked quite a bit this off season. And 
one of the lines I was thinking about with Cap that he drops is, and I mentioned on some previous podcasts, he talks about you can't be analytical and competitive at the same time. And you're like a you're a heavily invested guy. Like you you will look at everything. Like there's no stone that's yeah. unturned, whether it's physically, whether it's analytically, scouting reports. But at the same time, you're a guy that that obviously understands how to flip the switch and and find that you know the crazy in you. Did, have, were those hard things to separate over the years? Like, or, or did, were there times when you found yourself uh, being analytical when you're trying to be competitive, or did you always have clear delineations between the two? No, yeah, I never really. I was always able to separate the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the studying of everything, the and even I still do it to this day. After every outing, I get like all my track man info. I talk to um our pitching coaches and stuff if there's ever any like mechanical little like tiny mechanical tweaks or video we do like side by sides it's mm-hmm. it's pretty cool so i just always trying to find any low hanging fruit that can you know make anything more efficient or whether it's sequencing or reading swings and and doing all that studying and homework i just call it homework it basically gives you like a it gives you that gut feeling when you're on the mound and you're on the mound and you throw something, you automatically have this gut feeling what you want to throw next or like mm-hmm. the sequence that you want to do for one, two or three pitches. And that feeling becomes a lot more confident and a lot more consistent whenever you, when you do your work, like your homework and you, and you know, and you know your stuff, you know how your stuff plays and mm-hmm. you know, like the hitter, what he's trying to do and, you can kind of read his swings. Yeah. So it's, um, it becomes fun whenever you can develop that ability and it's hard. Some guys happens quicker. Some guys, it takes longer for me. It took longer, obviously not until 17. I felt like in game, I was able to, you know, sequence guys off swings, previous pitches, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, that's, that's one of the fun things for sure. I like it. Well, but we'll go forward to like the, the, the negative part where we have to talk about the shoulder injury. <laughs> so talk to you about like, uh, you know, when it happened, how it happened, and then maybe we'll dig in on the, le- the lessons you learned. Yeah, that was uh, like first week of September and at Wrigley. Uh, hit a ball off the wall and just got caught between first and second. Slid back into first and dislocated my shoulder. Kind of popped it back in right there and threw the next inning. But like hill sacks lesion with, you know, like some debris in the shoulder. And then there was a um, interior there was like an in, interior inferior labrum tear, posterior capsule and rotator cuff were all torn. So had to get all those fixed and rehab was, rehab was tough. It was pretty, cause there was so many things going on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I would say like 15, 16 months, some, somewhere around there is whenever it like really started feeling better. So it really didn't even start feeling better until going into camp of 19 mm-hmm. And then that's when the elbow stuff started. So then this all of basically all of 19 with elbow injuries and then obviously going into camp of 20 and then camp in my in the camp of 20, my back got bad and the back was, you know, broken in a couple. And so it's been, uh, but the elbow and the back for me came from the shoulder, you know, just mm-hmm. compensations developed coming back from the shoulder, mm-hmm. having to kind of relearn how to throw mm-hmm. and, you know, so. I think people often like talk about like one injury leads to another, but they never, 
they, ne- they never understand how things are so intimately linked. Like what were the things that you felt like changing your delivery is you're, you know, you're obviously working back from an extensive shoulder surgery. You're trying to get your external rotation back. You're trying to let your arm yeah. lay, lay back in that clean window. You know, what were the things that you found? Was it, was it comp- Were you changing things in your lower half? Were you I was, tilting your trunk? What were you doing? I was having, I mean, I was having to like hike my arm way up super high, like almost throwing straight over the top just mm-hmm. because my shoulder, like I literally had to basically relearn how to throw. I mean, it was so I had to gain all my external rotation back. Um, I mean, there was a lot of things. I mean, there was, I think there was some like nerve stuff, like having to relearn just like how to fire again. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- a lot of impingements. I mean, it was so. Yeah, I was like having to hike like way up, so I was kind of throwing myself into lower back extension before front foot strike mm-hmm. and then you know you don't rotate till after front foot strike so already being in some back extension I, I think i was just rotating around an already extended back and that over time i think might have caused these stress fractures in my back absolutely and then the elbow since that you know that your midsection your core is kind of like i guess the bridge to transfer that energy from your your lower half to your upper half and through your arm that bridge, I guess, wasn't was wasn't doing its job. So then I was having to create the velocity or the spin with my upper half and my arm, mm-hmm. which in turn was the elbow, the elbow issues that I had gone through. So, um, <laughs> yeah, looking back on it now, it's you know you realize all that stuff. That at the time it, I was doing what I absolutely had to do just to throw the baseball. I mean, <laughs> I really had. I really had no other choice. It was either do it the way I did it or just yeah. not play baseball. <laughs> and I think we've, so. we've, we've talked to, I mean, you're, you're, you're a hypermobile guy. I think a lot of people see someone who's six six two fifty, and they don't, they don't bother to think that you could really be loose jointed. They assume you're going to be a linebacker, you know? And, uh, you know, for you that, that hypermobility can potentially get you into some bad patterns. You know, you can get really rotational through your spine when you maybe want to be a little more stable. So, you know, that's, that's obviously like one lesson that we kind of talked about this winter. What are some other things that you feel like you've learned you know, from, you know, not just the shoulder, but, you know, all those, those issues over the years, how, what's the lesson that you would impart to your, your younger Jimmy Nelson on that front? (laughs) Man, I mean, there's a, I mean, there's the physical side, obviously, Mm -hmm. that's a lot, but I mean, I could talk, I could sit and talk about the mental side all day, you know, it's, it's, it can be pretty miserable, it can be pretty miserable, but, you know, one thing that I kept having to tell myself is like, you know, for as much as it hurts and all the crap that you go through, like it's not, it it can't last forever. You know, like the bad stuff and pain and all that, like it doesn't last forever. It's not gonna, it's gonna come to an end at some point. So you just have to take some kind of peace in your mind that, like, even you know, I mean, I was, I mean, it was months and months that I was just like feeling terrible and it just n- never got better and then right when the shoulder gets better it's the same th- you know it's the same story with the elbow so it's almost like that thing where it's like oh finally i'm over it and then it happens again and then it happened a third time you know so <laughs> um you just kind of learn how to manage expectations you learn how to try to control what you can just like when you're healthy and on the field try to control what you can with your your rehab your work your recovery or just everything mm-hmm. and um i mean you just got to be mm-hmm. at peace like no matter what happens when you come out of it like as long as you've done everything you can and you've done it 
the way you feel is right, I mean, you got you can be happy with however it turns out. Absolutely. I, I, you know, maybe, maybe pivoting a little bit. I, I joke that you're a recovery rock star. Like you've, you've obviously been through so much on the injury front that you've learned your lessons and, you know, you've left no unstern, no stone unturned in the quest to bounce back from them. You know, I'm curious what recovery initiatives have you tried and, and, you know, what are the ones that you feel like have have yielded the best results for you? Uh, I mean, I've tried everything. Um, I mean, obviously you have, first you got you have to start with like your sleep and nutrition Mm -hmm. so i've i've been there i think that i think nutrition's one for me that's always something that can be like easier to clean like something that i could clean up on Mm -hmm. but you know it's uh you also have to like manage your weight you know some guys are so focused on like losing or gaining a bunch of weight that i feel like their body they don't allow their body to be in its like natural weight range and that's can be unhealthy for recovery. And then, um, I mean, I got a, you know, hyperbaric chamber, cold tub contract, you know, uh, uh, hot, cold treatment or like contrast tubs. I do. I mean, I've had the H wave, you know, soft tissue needles, um, I mean, you got cupping, you got, uh, what other, I mean, we got, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And then that's not, I mean, there was several times that I had to get like injections too <laughs> through these, through the rehab, the rehab processes, you know, those probably <laughs> like four different injections I had to get for my shoulder, just coming back from my shoulder <laughs> because there was just so many impingements, so many flare ups and so many times whenever we just had to like you know, lubricate the joint. So obviously I don't see injections as a recovery modality, but (laughs) it's, Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, another, it was another part of my process at least. But what I loved about that is you just, you, you listed off, I mean, you have every amenity in the world, obviously being in a major league organization and being a guy who's done all your homework and you, you went to sleep and nutrition first. You know, I, I think there's something to be said about that for the average, you know, teenage ball player and his dad that are listening to this yeah. podcast. Is, and you're delivering the message that every parent wants to deliver to kids is eat, eat well, sleep well, and good things happen. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, you know, like I know me and Noah, like like we have these $20,000 freaking oxygen chambers, you know, like <laughs> nobody can, like that's ridiculous. And, and, and like the tubs and the saunas, like that stuff's expensive. And it's not accessible to everybody. And, but it's also not like the top on the priority list either. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you know, a lot of people see all these fancy gadgets and they think that they're doing like something more because they're more expensive, but that's not necessarily it. I think that all those things can be pieces to the puzzle, Mm -hmm. but they're not like the majority of the puzzle. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the majority of it is the sleep, the nutrition, you know, like I really don't drink alcohol. I, alcohol is extremely rare for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like sleep consistency, that stuff's big because just the hormones. Mm-hmm. Hormones is a big part of it. And and that's one thing uh, with a lot of the mental struggles I went through with the shoulder and the elbow and those rehabs and is like there was a lot of there was a lot of mental stress. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it kind of even messed up my hormones. Mm-hmm at one point to where I was having like these crazy weight fluctuations, you know, I went from like 263 at the beginning of camp in 2018 
to like 220 at the end of the season that year. Wow. And I mean, it was like, you know, and I was in the, just living in the weight room pretty much. And so it, um, you know, just making sure you get your sleep and, you know, so that those hormones are, are, are normal and regulated, you know, that's a big deal. On the, on the recovery side of things, what's your, what's your go-to, you know, you go out and you throw an inning, 15 pitches, whatever it is. What's, what are yeah. your options? I mean, obviously there's, there's hydration, there's calories. I know you're, yeah. you're a BFR guy. Like what do you like to do yeah. during the season? Well, what I've, what we've been doing, um, what I've started doing in the bullpen is like after BP or after we play catch on the field, I usually do like two to three rounds of contrast, hot and cold, like mm -hmm. usually like 40, 45 and 110 mm -hmm. on my tubs. And then, and then I go, uh, and then obviously get ready for the game. And then if I throw, I have, you know, like my little arm care routine afterwards. Um, and we've been focusing on um, more eccentric, mm -hmm. eccentrics and concentric mm -hmm. stuff. And then, yeah, we have B we'll either hit a BFR if we're on the road, like a passive mm -hmm. BFR, or we go like arm, arm, leg, mm -hmm. arm. And they actually have I can't even remember what it's called, but they actually have like a monitor with the BFR that monitors like um, your oxygen levels or whatever, and like if like your blood oxygen levels and stuff mm -hmm. during your BFR. So they um, know like when to take it off and all that. Mm -hmm. And so that's helped. And then just trying to make sure I like wind my mind down to that night, mm -hmm. like to go to sleep. It's always tough for me the day I pitch, try to um, just wind down and, and mm -hmm. sleep well. Sometimes mm -hmm. even, you know, you think you're sleeping good, but you might not be getting into those good deep stages. So like a pre-bed routine or whatever you have to do to kind of wind your mind down is huge too. That that was always that always is like something that kind of can snowball over the course of a season too because it's such a long mm -hmm. season. If you're going like one every three or four nights of getting like terrible sleep because you can't turn your head off, that can catch up. Absolutely. Now you you rehab with Eric Schoenberg um, this off season, and but you also grew up as the son of a physical therapist, so you've you've been exposed to rehab folks in um, you know in multiple major league organizations as well. I'm curious, you know, we have physical therapists, we have doctors, we have you know um, athletic trainers, et cetera, that are listening to this yeah. call, you know when you look back on the people who have helped you the most, like what do you see as key characteristics of the rehab specialists that you think are the most effective? Um, Ooh. Um, I mean, there's, I've been a lot, you know, and like you said, I mean, shoot, I had a band board in my room when I was like 10. <laughs> so like, I mean, I think the ability to not just like put every injury or in every person, like, just in a category, like, yep. oh, here's your rehab. This is what it is. It, this is standard. Like, these are the protocols, and you adhere by them. Uh, just being able to be fluid, uh, being able to be fluid within the rehab, whether that means, like, um, pushing through some things or whether that means taking a step back. You know, it's a dance. It's like a – it's really like a dance. It's not just like a staircase, you know. Mm -hmm. Just whenever the PT has the ability to – like see those things, see whenever things need to be adjusted or mm -hmm. something needs to be addressed. Like if there's like an instability or something somewhere. Yeah. And then, um, if they have to go off book, you know, if they have to go off the program to do something that they know will benefit you better than just sticking to what your written out program is, you know? Yeah. Um, and then also there's a, there's another, I mean, another aspect of PTs, I think, I think PTs and strength coaches might be, 
like some of the best head doctors. You know? <laughs> I mean, they there's you spend so much time around those people that um, they you talk to them about things that are outside of the rehab or the actual like baseball. So mm-hmm. the those people also help a lot on you know the mental aspect and keeping the right perspective as well. That's a great point. Uh, sh- switching gears a little bit, you, you're you're relieving right now, and you know for the longest time you were a starter. What what, yeah. are, the, what are the biggest adjustments for you? You talked a little bit about your pregame routine, but I'm also curious, like, um, you know, have you had to narrow your pitch mix? What what is it that you've adjusted the most, and, and how have you struggled or thrived with it? Uh yeah, it's. I mean, it's a lot different, and I mean, even in spring training. When you're in spring training, you know when you're going to throw, so you can still kind of prep maybe a little bit different because you know you're throwing that day, whereas during the season, out of the bullpen, you don't know when you're throwing. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different. Um, I'm lucky to have you know a lot of good guys out there. I mean, I, everybody out there is super tight-knit and always, always willing to help with like routines and all that type of stuff. But basically trying to figure out and kind of condense a prep routine for like before we throw on the field, like for practice type stuff. Mm -hmm. And then whatever, you know, having another routine for out in the bullpen, um, whenever I'm trying to kind of time up or get ready for a possibility of having to throw. Um, and you just, it's for me, it's like, as a starter, you can do all that stuff, throw and then go right into the game. Whereas as a bullpen guy, you know, you don't, you don't want to do all that stuff twice a day. <laughs> so you got to kind of like split it up a little bit, figure out how much you need and um, how much your body needs and how it responds. And then you got to, so far, just trying to listen to my body more, you know, like I might need a, a little spa day more than I did when I started because you have more days between starts. So just kind of like listening to your body and then obviously the, the, workouts and the training in between outings are going to be a little bit different as well i like it all right so once we uh once we get close to the end we always roll out a uh like a lightning round oh, yeah. um so all right so favorite pitcher to watch uh i think i think it it was back when arietta was with the cubs the first time when he was like what was it like 14 through 16 when he was just like mm-hmm. video game numbers I think that was probably um, the last one that was pretty obvious. But either that or basically you know, any of our starters. There you go. It's pretty good starting <laughs> staff, too. Uh, all right. How about favorite teammate of all time and why? Oh, favorite teammate of all time. This is tough. Uh, you're there's going to be all. You're allowed to. You're, you can pick a couple. There's going to be a lot of her to. feelings. Um, I don't know, man. There's There's so many of them. I mean, I got DP here. You know, with with LA, he's awesome. And we got a lot of great guys here with LA. Um, you, I mean, I had Woodruff was a good good one back in Milwaukee. Aaron Hill was a great teammate. Boyer was it, Blaine Boyer was a great one. I mean, we had. I mean, I was I was with Garza for a while. Garza kind of took me under. Garza and Loesch kind of took me under their wings when I was a starter and I was younger. And so those guys did a lot for me as well. I mean, there's, it's like, I mean, there's a long list. I mean, Hater in Milwaukee's a great dude. I mean, there's, uh, what else? who else? I mean, I, Corey Knievel has been with me in Milwaukee and then followed me here to LA, so I can't get rid of him. God. You've, you, you, I like it, man. You've made a lot of people happy. No, there's a lot, there's <laughs> a lot in there I'm missing too, but. 
All right. So, so we'll, we'll go to the next question. Those were good, though. All right. So advice to a teenage Jimmy Nelson. To a teenage me? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, stop. Stop trying to control things out of your control, I guess. That's a pretty good one. Um, yeah. What about a minor league Jimmy Nelson or early and major league Jimmy Nelson? <laughs> Probably the same thing. <laughs> Learn the lesson you should have learned as a teenager, right? Uh, yeah. All right, and then last one. Uh, I know you're a, you're a, a continuous improvement guy. What's the next step for you to take forward in your development? And we've talked a lot about how you developed from high school to minor leagues and after yeah. college. And what's the next step as a big leaguer that you want to work on? Well, for me, it's just really getting through this season healthy um, is health. I know, I know when healthy my stuff plays. I know I'm I'm I know how good I am and can be. And I, and I know there's more in the tank, you know, like I know even right now throwing out of the pin, I know that there's more, there's more there. Um, so I'm always trying to find little mechanical things that might make me a little more efficient without trying to add effort to any throws. Um, and that'll be forever probably, but just, I mean, just getting through the season healthy, just staying healthy. It's been so long since I've had a full season healthy and I just know that, as long as I can stay healthy, which these guys have done a, a really good job of. One of the reasons I came back is because these this medical and strength staff are so good. They've helped me stay healthy. Um, I know good things will happen. I like it, man. Well, folks can find you on both Twitter and Instagram. It's at Jimmy underscore J underscore Nelson. Um, psyched to see you back doing your thing in the big leagues and certainly wish you well the rest of the season. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. This is great. Uh, appreciate it, Eric. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.